0: From the heart of our nation's capital, here's Family Research Council President Tony Perkins. Well, hello, everyone, and welcome to Washington Watch coming up on this
1: Tuesday edition. As the world prays for Ukraine and debates consequences for Putin, as American families contend with violent crime, open borders, and runaway inflation, Washington Democrats want to spend their time arguing for unlimited abortion on demand. So I want to thank the majority leader for making it so clear where his party's priorities lie.
0: That was Senate Republican Leader Mitch McConnell. As expected, the Democrat-led effort to override hundreds of pro-life laws in the states failed last night. But don't think this is the end of their efforts. I'll have more on that later. As America fails to lead on the international stage, Ukrainian President Zelensky's heroic stand against the invading Russian forces on behalf of freedom has made him the face of courage and leadership.
1: President Zelensky is is admired all around the globe and most by the Ukrainian people who he stood so strong for. But President Biden also deserves credit, credit that is due him, for successfully bringing democracies together against Putin with crushing sanctions and an outpouring of security assistance. Really?
0: That's interesting. That was Senate Democrat leader Chuck Schumer. We'll get the latest on Ukraine from freelance war correspondent Chuck Holton, who is still on the ground in Ukraine. So far, over a half million people have fled Ukraine, primarily into Romania and Poland. Samaritan's Purse is mobilizing to help in partnership with the church in Ukraine. Franklin Graham joins us later with the details. And what will President Biden have to say to the nation this evening as he gives his first State of the Union address?
2: The American people will hear a lot about how he's going to lower their costs, how he's going to build, continue to build a strong economy over the long term.
0: I'm waiting for him to start, not to continue. That was White House Press Secretary Jen Psaki, Chairman of the House Freedom Caucus. Pennsylvania Congressman Scott Perry is here to assess the State of the Union as well as the situation in Ukraine. Finally, Family Research Council will be holding special briefings for pastors in North Carolina, Texas, and Georgia. FRC's Dr. Mark Harris is here with those details. The website tonyperkins.com if you happen to miss anything, you can find it all later, archived at tonyperkins.com, and also you can share that with your friends. The verse of the day coming from FRC's 2-year Bible reading plan is Leviticus chapter 9 verses 23 and 24. Then the glory of the Lord appeared to all the people and fire came out from before the lord and consumed the burnt offering and the fat on the altar when all the people saw it they shouted and fell on their faces how should we respond to the consuming fire of god well hebrews 12:28 tells us serve god with reverence and godly fear to be a part of the stand on the word bible reading plan go to frc.org/bible Russia's defense ministry issued a statement Tuesday afternoon warning residents of Ukraine's capital city to leave their homes, saying Russian forces are preparing to launch high-precision strikes. Meanwhile, a senior U.S. defense official told the press that the Russian advance on Kiev remains basically where it was yesterday, citing a number of potential reasons, including the possibility that they could be regrouping, rethinking, and reevaluating. With me now to tell us what has what he's been hearing and seeing on the ground is freelance war correspondent Chuck Holton. He is uh, reporting on the ground from Ukraine. Chuck, welcome back to Washington Watch.
3: Hi, it's good to see you, Tony.
0: So, Chuck, what's what has changed since we uh, last checked in with you?
3: Well, so we spent uh, the last week in downtown Kiev uh, staying there, and uh, the – bombardments kept getting worse and the more concerning than that the uh russians were encircling the city and i think that's kind of their their modus operandi so far, with the other big cities around Ukraine, they've been uh, f- using this tactic of encircling the city and then bombarding it into submission. We wanted to get out of there before we got trapped. And so yesterday we moved out of the city and just moved out about 40 miles south to where we're outside their line of control. And we can still continue to report on what's going on without getting getting caught in that trap. Uh, as you said, there, there's been a lot of concern about this long uh, armored column that's moving down from the north, but it's kind of stopped moving. And, uh, although there was some, uh, speculation as to why uh, that maybe they were uh, regrouping and preparing for a final assault, uh, other things have come out just in the last half a day or so saying that uh, part of the reason they're stopped is because their logistics and supply trains are not able to keep up with them. And many of those vehicles are running out of fuel. They're running out of ammunition and they're sort of dead in the water until they can get that fixed. Now, the Ukrainians have been working very hard to hit those logistics and supply trains with drone strikes and aerial bombardments and things like that uh, to keep them stopped because a tank that doesn't have any fuel or ammunition is just a big old paperweight. And uh, they're they're trying to make a whole lot of those. I think that the, uh, that the Vladimir Putin really thought that he could roll tanks into downtown Kiev and this whole thing would be over. But what they're finding is that the, the addition of these Javelin missiles that were given to them by the United States and other Western countries has made a huge difference, just like the Stinger missiles did back in Afghanistan in the 1980s and de- defeating uh, the a much bigger, more powerful force in Russia. And so uh, now they're, they're reticent to take those tanks anywhere too close to an urban environment because they'll get them shot and killed and so now they're they're going to resort to a much more um, aggressive tactic of just bombing and shelling, uh, which I think they were really hoping to avoid. Uh, Kiev is a beautiful old city with tons of uh incredible history, uh, beautiful churches and monasteries and monuments. And if they end up shelling that thing into dust, it's going to be just a real loss for humanity. But I'm afraid that's what they're going to have to do if they're going to take that city.
0: So, Chuck, is the resistance growing in terms of on the ground from the Ukrainian forces and the Ukrainian people?
3: It is. What we saw driving around Kiev as as recently as yesterday is that the – People who stayed are one of two camps. They're either people who didn't have the wherewithal to leave, and they're hiding in their basements, or people who didn't want to leave because they were there to fight and defend their city. Those groups of fighters, uh, made up of military police and these territorial defense units, who are just ad hoc civilian units that put themselves together, basically like neighborhood neighborhood watch on steroids, they are pushing. uh, They've been digging in. They've been building bunkers. They've been doing all kinds of just really uh, defensive things to make sure that uh, they'll be able to turn this thing into like the siege of Stalingrad, and it's going to be very, very costly for the Russians to come into that city. And so, again, if they want to take that city, they're not going to be able to do it with armor. They'll get that armor killed. They're going to have to bomb that city into dust, and it's going to be a real tragedy if that happens.
0: Chuck Holton, I want to thank you for joining us. Uh, Continue to stay safe, and uh, we'll check back in with you uh, uh, in the in the coming days. Thanks so much.
3: Okay, sure thing.
0: That's Chuck Holton from Ukraine. As the situation in Ukraine continues to unfold, President Biden is preparing to deliver tonight his first State of the Union address, during which he is expected to focus on the economy and the global response to Russia's invasion. Now, two things, he'll probably tout these two things as his accomplishments. Well, join me now to offer a dose of reality is U.S. Congressman Scott Perry. He is a member of the House Foreign Affairs Committee, is also the House Freedom Caucus chairman. He served in the military for nearly 40 years before retiring in 2019. He represents the 10th Congressional District of Pennsylvania. Congressman Perry, welcome back to the program.
1: Thanks, Tony. Thanks for the opportunity. Really, uh, you know, some sad times to see around the globe, of course. Before
0: we get into tonight's State of the Union address, uh, and you can share your thoughts on this, I want you to share your thoughts on uh, the situation in Ukraine and how this administration is handling it.
1: Well, I I will tell you that I and I wrote an op-ed on this. How we got here is as important as what we do now. And I will tell you that it's my opinion, I think the opinion of many, that this is all avoidable. Uh, Two things really, I think, led to this. First of all, the rhetoric uh, out of the president himself saying that it was small incursion really wouldn't uh, we really wouldn't react much to that. That's a green light to somebody like Putin who wants to take over the neighborhood. Uh, but uh, obviously, the uh, humiliating withdrawal from Afghanistan signaled to not only Putin, but all our adversaries that uh, we really weren't interested or willing to fight for the things that uh, that we had invested in. And then finally, uh, our energy policy in the United States of America, Putin, all our enemies see that uh, that uh, President Biden is worshiping at the altar of the Green New Deal. Putin's economy runs on petroleum. He wants to extort and has been able to extort the neighborhood, mostly Western Europe, but not necessarily exclusive to that, just based on petroleum. As long as the price is high, $103 a barrel on the spot market, I think, uh, yesterday, uh, this funds... Vladimir Putin's war machine into Ukraine. Most Americans don't know it. We shut down the Keystone pipeline, uh, and at the same time, increased by the same amount, if not more, uh, the amount of uh, of fuel that we're taking in from Russia every single day—500 to 600 million barrels coming in from Russia—that we're financing. So we're literally paying for the war in Ukraine. So this is; these are all signals to the. Vladimir Putin these are all signals to the rest of uh the our adversaries in the world and so uh, I don't give him very high marks it's uh, all the sanction talk and all the uh, the tough rhetoric didn't do anything especially when you signaled ahead of time that it was okay to go into Ukraine and take it take the black sea control the oil market in western europe control the oil market in uh in, you know in the mediterranean so I think you're going to hear a lot of conversations tonight at the State of the Union about what we should do and how we're working with Ukraine and we're praying for the people of Ukraine. Not going to talk about the rising crime rates, the horrific crime rates, and the murder rates in the cities. Not going to talk about a wide open border. Not going to talk about the abject failure of the handling of the pandemic. Not going to talk about uh, the abject failure of the handling of our economy and the runaway inflation, the highest in 40 or 50 years. Those won't be the issues of discussion. It will all be about Ukraine because there is some unity between Republicans and Democrats right. on the devastating circumstances in Ukraine now after the fact. And, and uh, so I think that that's where the conversation is generally going to lead. It could be the shortest state of the union ever if he just came to the stage and said, the podium and said, the state of the union is in awful condition and, and walk back out because that's how most Americans feel right now.
0: Well, I think you're right. Uh, he enters his first state of the union with the lowest polling approval of any president in modern history. Uh, what uh, 30 seconds, what does he need to say to bolster the confidence of the American people in his administration?
1: I think what he needs to say is, is that obviously we've taken a wrong turn here. I recognize that we're going to change things dramatically, we're going to open up the Keystone pipeline. Energy is the lifeblood of America. Uh, and it's also the lifeblood of the world. So we're going to disavow all those Green New Deal policies that have gotten us here. We're going to open up the Keystone Pipeline. We're going to start drilling on our own lands. We're going to open up Anwar. We're going to open up the continental shelf. Uh, we're going to permit the LNG terminals and we're going to drive prices for your gas at the pump down. And at the same time, we're going to hobble Vladimir Putin's wartime economy that's dependent on the high prices that we're providing for them in buying Russian gas right here in the United States of America, I think that would go a long way to show the American people that he recognizes this is a failure. Well, Congressman Perry, I pray that he would take that route. I doubt
0: that he will. This administration seems to be operating in a parallel universe, uh, totally detached from uh, the reality the American people are feeling. But I pray that he does uh, take some a We should step- pray. Congressman Perry, always great to talk with you. Thanks so much for uh, joining us. And folks, don't go away because we've got more Washington Watch coming up. More on Ukraine. We'll be turning our focus to the humanitarian relief effort. Franklin Graham of Samaritan's Purse joins me next. Don't go away.
2: Are you struggling to spend consistent time in God's word? Then join Family Research Council on an exciting journey through the Bible. FRC's two-year Bible reading plan helps you to approach daily Bible reading with an intentional focus of diving deeper into the nature of God and how His Word speaks into cultural issues. By studying the Bible, we can see the grandeur of God unfold throughout the past. The Stand on the Word reading plan takes you through daily scripture in an engaging manner to help you stay grounded in God's truth. All wisdom comes from God. And he has given us the Bible as a way to understand the world. Start this adventure today with Family Research Council. When you sign up, we'll text you every Sunday with daily passages and questions that help prepare you for conversations with your friends and family. To begin this journey, visit frc.org slash Bible. With the current division and confusion of our culture, it is so important for Christians to root ourselves in the truth of God's word so that we are prepared to give a reason for the hope that we have. For this purpose, Family Research Council launched the Center for Biblical Worldview. The center applies the Bible and the historical teachings of the church to current issues. This helps Christians understand and live by a biblical worldview, know why scripture must be authoritative, and equips believers to advance and defend the faith in workplaces, schools, communities, and the public square.
4: to
5: 67742
0: Welcome back to Washington Watch. I'm Tony Perkins, your host the website tonyperkins.com. As news broke last week of artillery fire and explosions throughout Ukraine. Christian Relief Group sprang into action, deploying disaster response specialists to the region to assist with the fallout from the crisis. Samaritan's Purse is one such organization, sending relief specialists and medical staff to Poland, Romania, and Moldova to help the refugees fleeing those neighboring countries. Uh, They are working with more than 3,000 churches in Ukraine and have also prepared an emergency field hospital to ship into the war-torn region. Join me now to uh, discuss the current situation in Ukraine and the Christian response is Samaritan's first president, Franklin Graham. Franklin,
6: welcome back to the program. Thank you, sir. It's good to be with you, Tony. Well, first,
0: uh, again, I just you know want to thank you and Samaritan's Purse uh, for, you guys are right there for every crisis, whether it's uh, a natural disaster or a man-made crisis like we see here in Ukraine. Kind of walk our listeners and viewers through what Samaritan's Purse is doing there on the ground in the region.
6: Well, we have people not only in Poland, uh, but we have people also in the Ukraine, Moldova, uh, as well as Romania. In Moldova, we'll start doing some food distribution uh, tomorrow uh, it looks like we'll be doing something similar like the Romania in the next few days. We're looking at putting a field hospital in right now, Tony. We're we're looking at the possibility of putting this inside of uh, of the Ukraine. Uh, so that's a little bit uh, more dicey, a little more difficult, but that's where the need is the greatest. So I think that's what we're going to try to do if we can.
0: I mean, the experts are predicting this could be a mass humanitarian crisis situation as many flee these cities as Russia. Uh, begins to encircle, like the capital city, the uh, the church in Ukraine, very vibrant. And you have over 3,000 churches that you work with. Talk a little bit about what the church is doing there on the ground in Ukraine.
6: Well, we we took in, before the invasion, about uh, two weeks ago, uh, over uh, 660,000 shoebox gifts for Operation Christmas Trial. Uh, we had just started our distribution when the, when the uh, war broke out. Uh, and a lot of the pastors there are, they've, they've, they've stocked up, uh, the, the new problems were coming. So they had stocked up food, uh, medical supplies. And so the churches are involved in helping people locally with what they can. And, of course, uh, a lot of pastors are helping families uh, get out of harm's way. They're using their own car to drive people to the border. And then they turn around, and go right back, get another family and bring them to the border and so forth. It's... Um, I mean, there's over 3,200 churches we work with, and these are these are churches that are very, very much alive, and they are engaged in helping their people and not running, but staying right there in the Ukraine and helping. You know,
0: part of it is their understanding of what freedom really means. I, I was actually working with the uh, the State Department when uh, the Berlin Wall came down back in the 90s. And we saw Eastern Europe open up, and I, I worked with many of those law enforcement and military personnel back then. But they, there are, many of these churches understand the yoke of communism, and they're determined not to go back. And so they're standing, praying, pleading uh, with God and with the rest of the world to stand with them.
6: Well, the, the, the Ukrainian people want freedom, and they want the freedom to decide uh, their future. And they don't want another country making that decision for them. And so, what's happened is unfortunate that it should have never gone this far. I think this is something that could have been negotiated, and uh, not have to go to war. But be that as it may, uh, this is where they where they are. Samaritans first. We can't we can't make those political decisions, but we can make the decisions to help people. And that's why that's what we're there to do. And we want to do it always, Tony, in Jesus' name. I want the people of the Ukraine to know that God loves them and cares for them, that Jesus Christ died for their sins like he died for mine and he rose from the grave. And I want them to have that hope that I have and that the rest of us have. And so the Ukrainian churches are are thrilled uh, to have any kind of help. But I think, Tony, the most important thing we can do, all of us, is to pray. Uh, Pray for the churches, uh, to pray for the believers. Uh, This country is going through immeasurable suffering. I cannot imagine what these families are going through, uh, having bombs drop on them, uh, having to flee for their lives. Uh, all the things that they plan for their future are being wiped out of this invasion. And we need to pray for them. And that's thats what I encourage people to do is just pray. And as Samaritan's Purse goes, pray that we'll be safe and God will protect us and lead us to the right locations. And this is, this is something that's probably not going to get better, Tony, but it's going to get worse. And it, I think if this invasion can, keeps going on, uh, you could have millions of people uh, trying to flee the Ukraine, and it, it it's going to disrupt uh, not just the neighboring countries, but uh, much of Europe uh, as these people come flooding out of the Ukraine. And they don't want communism. They want freedom. And it's unfortunate that in our country, we have people today that want to take us into communism, and they want to take our freedoms, and they want us to be burdened with the uh, uh, bureaucracy. And that's, uh, that's something that uh, we need to be watching very carefully.
0: Absolutely. And we are challenging and encouraging our people to pray. But uh, one final question for you, Franklin. Uh, I, I know you're looking for specialized individuals that, that can go to Ukraine. Uh, how can people find out more about helping Samaritan's Purse and the relief effort there in the region of Ukraine?
6: Well, go to SamaritansPurse.org, and uh, you'll be able to get uh, all the information, I think, that you'll be looking for. We do need do- Christian doctors and nurses. We need logistics people. Uh, when you set up a hospital like that, it's one thing to have the doctors and nurses, but it takes a whole team of people to keep that hospital up and running. And so we need those kind of people, too. So uh, we've, we've got uh, people already signed up. We just need more.
0: And, of course, you still have uh, domestic operations going on here in the United States as well. So you need volunteers uh, for that. Franklin, always great to talk with you. Thanks so much again for the great work that uh, Samaritan's Purse does. It's always a pleasure to partner with you.
6: Thank you, Tony. God bless you, sir.
0: And Folks, I want to encourage you to to pray. That's something that, as Franklin pointed out, we can all We can all do that. In fact, we should all do that. We've got prayer points. You can find them at TonyPerkins.com, how to pray for the Ukrainian people and add to that list, pray for Samaritan's Purse and those involved in the relief efforts. Then also, maybe you have the opportunity, a skill set that would be helpful to the relief effort. You want to go check out the website, the Samaritan's Purse, and also financially, we can stand with them. All right, coming up next, we'll get an update from the People's Convoy as their miles-long procession draws closer to Washington, D.C. It's not just truckers who are standing for freedom against the mandates. Next, we'll be joined by a nurse who lost her job as a result of the vaccine mandate. Don't go away. We're going to roll for freedom next here on Washington Watch.
5: Stand defending freedom convoy.
0: Welcome back to Washington Watch. I'm Tony Perkins. I bet you didn't know this, but this is one of the guys uh, in our production team driving that. Yousef, he's the one actually driving that truck blowing the horn. Some medical workers, once hailed as heroes at the start of the pandemic, are now considered zeros. Why? For standing firm on their convictions and refusing to cave. To the COVID mandates. And many have lost their jobs as a result, including my next guest here now to share her story and her experience with the People's Convoy making its way here to our nation's capital is Brittany Seaball. She is a registered nurse. Brittany, welcome to Washington Watch.
9: Thank you, Tony. I really appreciate it.
0: So you are among those healthcare workers that, you know, were there when America needed you during the height of the pandemic, but now you know, we're forcing these healthcare workers, many of whom already had the the, the covid virus to get vaccinated. You're one of those that uh, had to face these mandates. Is that why you're a part of the Freedom Convoy, the People's Convoy, taking a stand for freedom?
9: Yeah, it is, Tony. I mean, I think, you know, everyone deserves the choice to um, to, to, to treat themselves, to have their own treatment, to um Decide what's best for them. Everybody's different. Uh, we know that everyone has different reactions to things. And so it's just mind blowing to me that they can try to mandate something that is an experimental injection, um, for these people, for everybody. Um, I've been working for almost 10 years in the ER. So, and I think if you go back to the beginning of COVID, uh, when we were working and we noticed all of the, Uh, manipulation that was going on with COVID, we started realizing that hospitals are getting incentives and they're manipulating numbers. And I'm an ER nurse. I've worked in a hospital for 10 years. And so it was crazy to me to see this big push of everything was COVID every single day. Um, and, And which was crazy is in 2020, the hospitals were actually fairly low. I actually lost my job Um, in Denver, they said, hey, we're going to have to cancel you because we don't have enough work for you. So I ended up going to New York City and volunteering for a few weeks where, again, I was sent home volunteering in April 2020 because they didn't need me. Um, So it was very, very obvious to me that something was going on. So then as things progressed, I started seeing this big push for the vaccines. Meanwhile, they were having manipulated COVID numbers. Um, So it's, It's just been mind-blowing to me. I I worked for almost two years with COVID. Um, I was fine. I had COVID, and it wasn't that sick, not compared to flu before. And yet now they come out and say, oh, that's not good enough that you had COVID. We're now going to force you to take this injection, even though I've been risking my life, as they say, for almost two years, working with COVID people every single day. And I'm a travel nurse, so I end up in Orange County and, of course, I was put in the COVID unit every day, which I didn't honestly mind. Um, but, you know, it's crazy that you were heroes. In New York City, they had nurses all over, and you're being paraded around. And then all of a sudden, it's like, oh, you're no longer capable of doing your job, so we're going to eliminate you.
4: It's
0: amazing. Yeah. And my, my my daughter's story is very similar. She's a travel nurse. She worked in the ER, worked with COVID patients. So I'm very familiar mm-hmm. with what you're You're saying so. How did you get involved with the People's Convoy?
9: So I've been doing some volunteer work. I, like I said, I ended up in Orange County. I was doing travel nursing Um, around last year. They told me, "Hey, we're gonna, um, you know, we're gonna have the mandates. They're gonna be doing all this testing." And I I knew it was coming. And so even before they actually mandated the vaccine, and I met um, an attorney, Lee Dundas, out in Orange County, and she was fighting hard against these mandates and. Um, I just asked her, you know, can I get involved? Because I was also seeing that in the hospital we were having people react to the vaccines and it wasn't being acknowledged whatsoever by the doctors. And I, I knew they were going to start pushing it, so I wanted to get involved. So I started doing some volunteer work with her, traveled around the country, um, just getting involved in this fight. You know, people should be able to choose. Right. The America, I mean, we, we live in a free country or we're supposed to live in a free country where we can be informed and that's the other thing we should be informed, you know, and, and that's not happening with this vaccine. And I've right. seen it with my own eyes. I've talked with several people. I've been um, I've worked with uh, Joshua Yoder, who's an American uh, or an airline pilot. And I've seen for myself and heard the stories of these pilots who are having all kinds of reactions. And that's the thing is, you know, you are prone to certain things like blood clots when you're flying. And so to see that these vaccines are actually you know, increasing your chance of having a blood clot, you should be able to look at that and look at the evidence, look at the data, and decide for yourself. So this is just mind-blowing to me that they can come out and say, it doesn't matter what your background is or your history, we're going to force this. I, it's, I've never seen this before. Usually in hospitals, they're good at informing people. Doctors are always, you know, it's the patient's choice. And I, it's, that's been eliminated completely. In fact, the doctors are shaming people. Um, not giving them a choice—it's like you do this or you sign a DNR. Basically, um, that—that's what's been crazy to me. And so, honestly, I did get a religious exemption um, in Denver, where I'm from. But I—I I don't even enjoy working there anymore because the shaming is just crazy to me. So, when I saw what was going on in Canada, people were standing for their rights, standing for freedom. I, you know, I was working with Lee. She said, "Hey." I'm I'm getting involved in the convoy, and I was like, count me in. You know, I'm so proud of these truckers for standing up for
0: what's right. Absolutely. We are grateful for the truckers and the others, uh, the cars, the motorhomes, the nurses, Mm -hmm. everyone who has joined in this convoy today. Uh, They're in Illinois, ending up tonight in Indianapolis or in Indiana, and then uh, making their way this weekend to Washington, D.C. Brittany, thanks so much for joining us Folks, coming up, the Abortion on Demand Until Birth Act failed to pass the Senate yesterday. I'll share my thoughts on what's next. Don't think they're going to go away. They will keep coming, and we've got to keep standing. Stick with us for more Washington Watch coming up on the other side of the break.
10: Visit frc.org slash internships to apply.
0: You're listening to Washington Watch. I'm Tony Perkins, your host. The website, TonyPerkins.com. In addition to the the prayer points that we have at the website for the folks in Ukraine praying for our brothers and sisters there, I would also encourage you to pray for these convoys uh, that are making their way to Washington, D.C., you can go to the website of uh, the People's Convoy, and you can read their statement. I mean, this is a peaceful demonstration. They are simply exercising their First Amendment rights to get redress of grievances, and that is these overreaching mandates by the government. And this is peaceful, and they want it to remain that way. So pray for them as they make their way to, uh, to our nation's capital. And I'm grateful for them. I really am. I'm grateful for every American who understands the price of freedom and is willing to stand up right where they are to use what they have to defend that freedom. And so I'm uh, grateful for and praying for our truckers as I pray for our men and women in uniform uh, who stand ready uh, to defend this nation and our freedoms. Well, yesterday evening, by a vote of 46 to 48, the procedural vote on the so-called Women's Health Protection Act failed in the United States Senate. Like almost every bill Congress takes up, especially under this majority, it is, uh, this bill was deceptively named. The bill should have been titled the Abortion on Demand Until Birth Act. Now, I think I'm, sa- I'm, I think I'm safe in saying this. This bill was the most extreme abortion measure to ever, ever be voted on by Congress Now, it already passed the House under Nancy Pelosi, and unfortunately, it's died in the Senate. But trust me, trust me, been around here long enough to know it will be back. It will be back if the pro-abortion lawmakers remain in charge. As we discussed yesterday with Kansas Senator Dr. Roger Marshall, it would have codified into law Roe v. Wade. Now, what does that mean? Well, in part, it shows that what we've been told... the last 50 years is a lie. The law of the land is not Roe v. Wade. It was a court decision. It was one court decision that gave us abortion on demand through all nine months of pregnancy. There was no state legislature. There was no Congress that voted for that. This was the court. And so now what's happened, because the American people have said, we don't want this abomination in our land. And that's what it is, folks. This is inviting the judgment of God upon our nation by allowing the blood of the innocent to occur. And, and, and some of you know my story. This is why I'm involved in politics. I was a police officer. That's all I wanted to do. But the abortion issue is what drew me in to the political arena, running for office, holding office, passing pro-life legislation, and then eventually here, for almost the last 20 years at the Family Research Council. We stand at a a critical moment in the history of our nation. We see the court about ready to potentially take this issue of abortion and send it back to the states, essentially overturning Roe v. Wade. That's why the left's all worked up. They're now exposing the fact this is not the law of the land. It was one court decision that they've been hiding behind that has led to 63 million abortions in this country. This also, this also shows very, very clearly the ideological divide between the two parties. And and you can, you know, look, don't take my word for it. You should, but you don't have to. You can go to the party platforms, the Republican Party platform, which I had a part in writing, is very clear on the sanctity of human life. You go to the Democratic Party platform, and it's very clear on where they stand on the issue of abortion, wanting you to pay for it. And given what was unfolding in the world right now, that the Democratic Party would make this a priority is very telling. Here's a clip from last night's debate on the Senate floor. This is Senator James Langford. Play clip number 11, please.
1: This body should be the place where we're actually debating the biggest issues of the day. And apparently, to my Democrat colleagues, the biggest issue of the day is, how many more abortions can we get in America? Because that seems to be bigger than Ukraine, bigger than 7.5% inflation, bigger than $30 trillion in debt, bigger than anything. The most important thing is, how can we take the life of more children?
0: Senator James Lankford of Oklahoma, an ardent supporter of life, a a formerly uh, a Baptist minister, uh, still ministers, and a a great friend, true patriot, and a defender of the weak and the defenseless, and uh, grateful for his leadership. Also, Senator Steve Daines of Montana, a champion for the unborn. He is the, in fact, formed And now chairs the Senate Pro-Life Caucus. Here's what he had to say uh, yesterday as well. Clip 12. In this bill's America, a baby bald eagle or a baby sea turtle still in its eggshell would be protected under federal law. While an unborn child at any stage of pregnancy could be brutally killed with no repercussions for the abortionist. In a nutshell, this radical bill would make the United States of America one of the most dangerous places in the world to be an unborn child. So what do you do with this information? Well, let me give you a couple of things. Number one, pray. I really do. This is the, there's a lot of issues, and there's a lot of issues I'm passionate about. But I believe this is the issue that jeopardizes America's future. I do not believe that God can overlook Us ignoring this issue of the shedding of innocent blood in our nation. I I just don't think he can. I think our time is limited if we do not address this issue. And here's the good news. We stand at the threshold of repentance. What is repentance? Repentance is, is turning the other way. And that's what the court would do. If the court decides this, we already have a half of the states have trigger laws ready to make abortion illegal in their states. So pray, pray that the court would get it right. And then secondly, as I said earlier, this issue is not going to go away. It's going to come back. I know how the left operates. They, They are driven by something. It's inexplicable. It is the drumbeat of darkness. And they will not give up. And so that means we cannot give up either. We have to continue to compassionately, but with courage and conviction, stand for truth. And one of the ways we do that is in elections. If we can have a conservative pro-life majority, we won't have to deal with these issues. We'll deal with them at the state level, but we're not going to have to fend off these far-reaching pieces of legislation like the Senate had last night. So pray and vote and stand. Pray, vote, and stand. That's what we need to do. Speaking of that, to help pastors and churches do just that, uh, the Family Research Council has an association of ministries where we work with pastors, we work with churches, we work with community impact teams. And here to tell us more about that and an upcoming event or two is Dr. Mark Harris, who is the vice president of
5: our association of ministries. Mark, welcome to the program. Well, it's great to be with you, Tony. And thank you for your passionate word. We desperately need to hear it in this day. Well, we need to hear from the pulpits. Yes, sir.
0: uh, Because, you know, we hear from CNN, we hear from MSNBC, we hear from Chuck Schumer and Nancy Pelosi, but we need to hear the truth from the pulpits. And that is your mission of rallying these allied ministries to stand firm for the truth of God in a day when the truth has been rejected.
5: Well, that's exactly right. And we, we believe that if we can get the information to the pastors and we can share with them the vision and uh, share with them the passion and the burden, just as you shared a moment ago, just imagine if if the message that you gave were to go to pastors in states across this country and they really caught that vision and it would be incredible what would happen. And that's exactly what we're looking to do just coming up in North Carolina in a uh, Watchman Pastors briefing. It's going to be happening on March 18th on a Friday in Greensboro, North Carolina. We're going to see pastors coming together from all across the state. And we would love, if there are pastors listening to this broadcast right now, for them to go online to watchmanpastors.org, and they can click on events, and they'll find more about that information. But just the information you shared here today and the way you laid it out, will be just a taste of some of the things that they're going to hear that day. Yeah, uh, Mark, I mean, your introduction to the Family Research Council was through a Watchmen
0: Pastors Conference here in Washington, D.C. Yes. Mm-hmm. Unfortunately, in this age of uh, hysteria because of COVID, we we can't count on doing anything here in Washington because they're constantly shutting the city down or putting up fences or, you know, who knows what's right. going to happen here from day to day. So we're taking Watchmen on the road to these pastors. So this is an event we have coming up on March 18th in North Carolina. We also have coming up, we have a pastor's conference that we'll be
5: doing in uh, Texas, Texas. in the Houston area. And then we have one in Georgia. That's right. We do. And uh, we're going to be looking in Texas on June 3rd. Uh, to have an opportunity to go there in the Houston area to be a part of a pastor's briefing, as well as, as you mentioned, in Georgia, uh, the end of July, around July 28th, we're looking to be able to gather there. So just bringing these pastors in these key states, I mean, you just talked about the United States Senate. You just talked about right. the things that happened last night. And if our pastors in these states that are about to make some serious decisions this year, this election, um, I can't imagine a pastor not, wanting to be there to learn all they can about what they can do to make a difference. Well, you have assembled a
0: great team of inspiring, encouraging uh, speakers for
5: the North Carolina event. Uh, Tell us who's going to be there. We're excited. Uh, We're going to have Erwin Lutzer. Uh, We did an event similar to this in Missouri already and uh, just well received. You of course are going to be there. General Boykin is going to be there. Uh, as I said, Dr. Irwin Lutzer is going to be there. You're also, they're going to have the opportunity to hear from Lieutenant Governor Mark Robinson. We're very ah, excited. Standing, standing about strong. My, he, he is standing strong. And I'm very, very proud to, to say that he's my lieutenant governor in North Carolina. And um, he's going to be speaking that day, as well as uh, Chad Conley is going to be part of the program, Kenan Curitan, giving an incredible vision of, of just what our founders were laying out before us. I think it's going to be a tremendous day that will be a challenge and an encouragement to pastors of what they can do and how they can be involved, because there's a lot of folks that have been on the sidelines, but I think now we're seeing that really enough is enough, and they're ready to step in. So uh, unpack the day,
0: what it looks like a little bit for the pastors, what they will see, what they will hear, and, and what they will what they'll take away.
5: Well, I, first of all, it's going to run from about nine in the morning to three in the afternoon. I think, uh, when they get there, there'll be a continental breakfast that morning. Doors will probably open at eight. It's at friendly Avenue Baptist church in Greensboro, uh, is host of this event. And, uh, we'll start around nine o'clock with some worship, uh, and gather together and just lift our voices to the Lord and, and worship and praise. And then they'll, uh, hear a message as you get things started, uh, and kind of lay the groundwork for the day. They're going to be hearing from uh, the lieutenant governor, as I mentioned as well. Mark Robinson's going to be there. Bishop um, Patrick Wooden from incredible yeah. church there yeah, in Raleigh. He's, great. he's going to be speaking. And uh, Gary Hamrick, say, Pastor Gary Hamrick. Gary Hamrick, exactly. Come from Cornerstone. Calvary, Cornerstone there in um, Virginia. We're so honored to have these guys that are just assembling themselves there just to share the word It'll be a great mixture. So the, the, these are
0: pastors speaking to pastors. That's right. And and these are pastors who have taken the Word of God, they've shared it with their people, they've challenged their people, and, and they're doing what watchmen
5: are supposed to do. That's exactly right. And then one of the added bonuses we're in the process of trying to confirm and put together is we have a big US Senate race that's going on there in North Carolina and we're currently reaching out to find out if those candidates are able to come and uh, we'll be able to share in just a brief interview time with you, uh, just before the pastors and it'll be a great opportunity for our pastors to hear. Now you may have mentioned this, but if not, uh, this is really worth uh, this
0: is worth the price of admission. Yeah. Is the the panel discussion? Oh yes, uh, that will be taking place. Talk about that.
5: The panel that we've assembled is phenomenal. Uh, Brent Kylan, who's our vice president for FRC Action, is part of that. David Claussen, who is in our Center for Biblical Worldview, as well as Joseph Backholm, who is also in North Carolina, is also a part as uh, a senior fellow with our Center for biblical worldview. They have assembled a panel that will be talking about wokeness and biblical worldview, where the Bible speaks and, and how it speaks so clearly, as well as some incredible research that's been done on sage cons. Uh, Brent has been sort of leading up that effort and bringing that information together. That, and, that, that spiritually active governance engaged conservatives. That's, that's a right. term that was coined by George Barna. Exactly. And it's We've got them in our churches and it's important for pastors to understand who these folks are and it's important for pastors to speak God's Word in in a sharing a personal way. Now, Mark, we're almost out
0: of time, but uh, the Association of Church Ministries, uh, Associated Ministries, has more than just pastors. You've got community impact team leaders all across the country. We do. Uh, People can be a part of that as well. Very quickly, where can they find that information? If
5: they will go to watchmanpastors.org, it will have that information. They can also learn more about community impact teams there as well. There's also a separate website for that and... Our Stand Courageous uh, men's event is a phenomenal thing that we're going to be bringing to North Carolina following this pastor's briefing May 6th and 7th. May 6th and 7th. So they can already register for that. They can register for that now by going to StandCourageous.com. And I would urge every church in North Carolina to, it's coming to High Point, North Carolina. It's going to be at Green Street Baptist Church on May 6th and 7th. And if anybody's listening and you're within a couple hours of High Point, it would be well worth your while to get your men signed up to be there.
0: Mark your calendars. Mark Harris, always great to talk with you. (laughs) It's always great to be with you, Tony. All right. And, folks, it's great to be with you as well. And until next time, I leave you once again with the encouraging words of the Apostle Paul, found in Ephesians 6, where he says, When you've done everything you can do, when you've prayed, when you've prepared, and when you have taken your stand.